Good afternoon, everyone, and good afternoon to the audience who are watching us online. Let me start right away with the title of my message, the questions that I will pose to all of you. Can God break his covenant? And before you jump to the answer, before you jump to answer, I want you to take a deep, deep thought, and I want you to realize something. If you answer the question, yes, I want you to remember there are deep, deep consequences for the answer. If you answer no, there are also deep, deep consequences for the answer. I'll give you a minute. If you make a note, try to answer this question. Can God break his covenant? And try to think of the consequences. Either way, yes or no. If you don't make notes, try to have the answers in your mind. I'll give you a minute. But I want you to think about the consequences. How will you answer this question? Can God break his covenant? So what I want to do, we will answer these questions when you come to the end of my presentation. But what I want to do first, I want to just go briefly and explain what the covenant is not. Not what the covenant is, but what the covenant is not. Two, I want to show you the difference between the covenant and the contract. Three, We'll go through some of the covenants in the Bible. So I'll ask some simple questions. Is this covenant conditional or unconditional? Is this covenant eternal or is this covenant just temporary? And then we'll look at some of the consequences of us breaking God's covenant. And then at the end, we'll come to the same question. Can God break his covenant? So we're all clear. We all know where I'm going from now on, right? All right, what the covenant is not. If you look for the basic definition of covenant, what covenant is, when you Google it, you will find that most of the sites would say covenant, or the other word for covenant, they will say is a contract. So the covenant is a contract, or the covenant is an agreement between one or two parties or between God and his people. And I don't like this definition. And the reason why, because we live in a society that everything around us is about contract. So the way how we understand contract today is influence us the way how we view the covenant. You know, most of us, whether you're young or old, all of us sign some kind of a contract. When you have your cell phone, you sign a contract with the company that provides the service with you, right? Basically, you agree that you're going to pay X amount of money for whatever X amount of months in exchange for the ability to talk on this device, to send a text, to send a video text, whatever you name it, whatever the contract is specified, right? That's basically that's the simple contract. If you, for some reasons, stop paying the monthly fee for your phone, they have the right to cancel your contract and hold you accountable for the rest of the period that you did not, or you supposed to pay. You know, if you lease a car, you sign a contract. We meet in this hall that we have to sign a contract. When you buy a home, you have to sign a contract. When you are employed, you have to sign a contract. Everything in this society is based on a contract. And that's why we have so many different lawyers. Because guess what? We like to break the contract. Right? So, if that's our influence, how we view the covenant, we may get the wrong impression what the covenant all about. So what are the difference between, what is the difference between covenant and contract? 
construct is basically a very simple stated piece of a paper. If I obligate to do something, that you are obligated to do something for me. If I fail to do that something, that you have the right to do whatever you sign on the contract. Covenant doesn't work that way. Now let me explain. Covenant, and especially covenant that we have in the Bible, the covenant that God made with people. It looks kind of like a contract that basically says there is an agreement between two parties. I want you to do this in exchange if you're going to do this, this for me, I will do this for you. But way more deeper than that. You will never see any time in the covenant that there is a consolation clause in the covenant. Have you ever seen in the Bible that there is a consolation clause in the covenant? Basically what the covenant says, even if you're not going to do this thing for me, I am God, I am still obligated to the words of the word that I say in my covenant. Are we clear? So basically, covenant is not the same the way how we look at the contract. Because when you think of the covenant as a contract, then we know we quickly come to the conclusions. These people were supposed to do this thing. They didn't do it. God is off the hook. It's done. And that's what most theologians, that's what they preach today. So we know we don't know the difference. Now, let's go through some of the covenants which God did with people in the Bible and we're going to ask some important questions. If the covenants are just temporary, or if the covenants are everlasting? And if these covenants are conditional, or if these covenants are un- unconditional? Let's start with Genesis chapter 9. And we start with the covenants that God made with Noah. So Genesis chapter 9, we'll look at verses 8 through 11. Genesis Genesis chapter 9 and verses 8 through 11. And God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as, and as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every piece of the earth, thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall be a flood to destroy the earth. Is this covenant temporary? Is this covenant everlasting? It's absolutely, you read from the text, it is everlasting. He says it's not just to you, but it's to your descendants. It's actually how can God make a covenant with a creature? How can God make a covenant with your dog and with your cat? But basically, that's what God says. I promise to every single living creature that will never, ever destroy creatures on this earth this way. Now, is this covenant conditional or unconditional? See, most people will say this is just the God's words. So this is basically unconditional covenant. It doesn't require any behavior whatsoever from the other party. Is that really true? Remember, God just flooded the whole earth for what? For the sinfulness of mankind. And now just to interpret this thing, that there's no any conditions of the human being, come on. Just go back. Why did the flood happen? What did God do to these people to punish them for their horrendous sins. Now, I made you a covenant that I will never, never destroy you this way. Do we have an obligation to live righteous life? Absolutely. Because we don't want to kind of relieve the same cycle what these people did. So there are always obligations, even though we might not realize, but it's not just everything unconditional. Let's move a little bit deeper. Covenant with Abraham. Go to Genesis chapter 17. And we're going to ask the same questions. Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17, and we're going to look at verse 7 and 8. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for, a, for, for an everlasting covenant 
to be God to you and your descendants after you. And verse 8, also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger. All the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession and now be their God. Is this covenant temporary? Is this covenant everlasting? Think about it. God mentioned here twice. Twice. He said this is not just something, you know, just for an dispensations of time, so to speak. And then we'll move on. We'll transfer this thing to some other people. That's what God's saying here. Saying, no, I made a covenant with Abraham, which will last forever. And he backed it by his own words. Is this covenant conditional or, uh, or unconditional? And again, think about it. They, can, we justify the, uh, can we justify ourselves and say that we don't need to do anything in terms of our behavior because God promised everything to us? Think about it. Abraham was called the father of the faithful. That's why God made the covenant with him. Do we have responsibility to follow our father to be the to be the children of the faithful father? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's move on now. Let's go to the covenant of David. Second Samuel chapter seven. Second Samuel chapter seven. And we'll read verses there twelve to sixteen. Second Samuel chapter seven. This time, we'll cover the covenant with David, that God made with David. So Second Samuel, chapter 7, look at verse 12. When your days are fulfilled, and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you. He will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, talking about Solomon, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom, Forever. I will, I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits inequity, I will chasten him with the wrath of men and with the blows of the sons of men. Verse 15. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul when I removed him before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Again, what is this covenant? Most commentators will tell you that this covenant is just a temporary, and it's based on condition. If the king is obedient, God will prolong it. If the king is not obedient, the God has the right to cut it off, to break this contract. Is that what they say in the text? So that's what God is actually saying here. He say, I will establish this thing forever. I will establish your kingdom forever. And your throne shall be established forever. Twice in verse 16. That's what God says. Now. Just go to Psalms chapter 89. And I hope that you're following the Bible studies. The weekly Bible study on the book of Psalms. So far, I learned so many things that I just skipped. Because we just go around so quickly through all of them. Just read, pick some verses, and, you know, we ignore the rest. But if you read them line by line, it's just unbelievable how much sense they make. So I hope that you actually will tune in every Wednesday for this Bible's weekly Bible study with Pastor, Pastor Agent. Psalms 89. Look at here. Promise. To David. Psalm 89 and verse 30 to 37. If his son, if his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgment, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with wrath and their inequity with stripe. Verse 33. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him nor allow my faithfulness to fail. 
my covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Powerful words, right? Very powerful words. Keep reading. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like a moon, even like a faithful witness in the sky. Can you see the moon in the sky? Yes, you can. So, these promises are still standing. And God says, if I ever break my promise, that you can consider me a liar. That's what he's saying here. Is this covenant conditional? Is this covenant temporary? Is this covenant everlasting? God doesn't make things temporary. Never ever. Let's keep going. Now, there's all these covenants. There were the easy ones. Let's go to the covenant that God made with Moses. Synaptic covenant. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And once we go there, we like to skip the first two verses because we're only concerned about the Ten Commandments. So it says Ten Commandments are the very important thing, but we just forget about read the first two verses. But this is basically how God is starting his covenant right here. That's the word that he's using at the beginning. And God spoke all these words saying, verse 2, I am, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of bondage. What's the message to you? What's the message to Israelites? You are in bondage. You are in bondage in Egypt. You have no hope whatsoever. The Pharaoh, as a king over you, could do with you whatever he wanted to do. But something happened. Something happened because I was obligated to fulfill my covenant that I did with your forefathers. And I had to step in. And because I had to step in, so my plan will never fail, I have to do something here. And that's why I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You are my people. You are not the Pharaoh's people. You are my people, and I have a plan for you, and I will carry it through. Now, as we think about, as we, as we think about this covenant, let's go to Leviticus chapter 26. And we hear the words of this part of this covenant that, that brother, brother Dylan read it to us. But let's just go all over it, all over again, and just read very carefully and, and very slowly. Let the words sink in into our minds as we think if this covenant is a temporary one or if this covenant is everlasting covenant. Just let the words sink into our minds. Leviticus chapter 26. And look at verse 40. Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 40. But if they confess their inequity and the inequity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me and that they also have walked contrary to me and I also have walked contrary to them and have, and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts are humble and they accept their guilt, verse 42, look what happened. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember, I will remember the land. The land also shall be left empty by them and they will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. They will accept their guilt because they despise my judgments and because their soul Abhor my statutes. Verse 44. And, are, and these words are very important. 44 and 45. Yet, and yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them to actually destroy them 
and what? And break my covenant with them. Why? Because for I am the Lord, their God, and I made the promises, I spoke words, and I cannot back on them. I cannot lie. These people, they can break covenants. These people can be unfaithful. I'll be faithful to this covenant forever till I accomplish everything that I promised to my people. Verse 45. But for their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestor, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt, inside of the nations that I might be their God. I am the Lord. Again and again. We see the promises throughout the Bible, throughout the prophets, through the book of Psalms, through the New Testament. It's everywhere. You can't escape it. See, this is a very important question now, brethren, because most commentators will tell you the Mosaic Covenant was conditional and was a temporary one. What do you think? What do you think? Was this just the, whatever, all these words that God spoke? Just, just something that he just spoke to the air and he says, you know, like, yeah, let's find an excuse. People don't keep it. Again, I'm off the hook. If they don't keep it, they break it. I walk away. I have no, I have zero obligations because they were the first one that broke. Let me use the word, the contract, right? Right. Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah chapter 32 and verses 36 to 40. And this is the history of God's people. Breaking covenants all the time on every single occasion. Why they do all these horrible things. God is staying faithful. Look at here. Verse 36. Jeremiah chapter 32. And in verse 36 to 40. Now therefore thus says the Lord. The God of Israel. Concerning the city of which you say. It shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. By the sword. By the famine. By the pestilence. Behold. Verse 37. I will gather them out of all countries. What I have driven them in my anger. He doesn't say I will gather them all over the place from Babylon. It says I will gather them from all the countries. Where I driven them in my anger. In my fury. In my great wrath. I will bring them back to this place. And I will cause them to dwell safety. Hold on. We have a land that we call today Israel. You know, we have a city today that we call Jerusalem. Is this city today that we call Jerusalem, is this a safe place to live? Would you say that this is the safest place to live of all the cities in the entire universe? Absolutely not. This is not a safe city to live. So, these words here, what Jeremiah is speaking, they haven't been fulfilled yet. Not yet. But the time is coming. God is not a liar, right? God is not a liar. He says, I'll back to this place and I'll cause them to dwell safely. Right? They shall be my people and I will be their God. Then I'll give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. Has this thing happened yet? Not yet. So what, what does it mean? God is still on this. God is still working, trying to fulfill his covenant with Moses, right? Right. Verse 40. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. This is a promise. This is not just the empty, empty words. Spoken by God. Just to fill the pages of your Bible. So to speak. 
See, if we try to think as a covenant, as a contract, we deep, we run into a deep trouble. Because if we easy justify, if we didn't do this, then God has doesn't God doesn't have any rights to do this. You know, we are of the hook, God is of the hook. Let's have a new life here. It doesn't work like that. When God says something, when God promises something, he's obligated to accomplish it. He's obligated to accomplish it. So now, why is this so important as we study? We're not going to study all the covenants. I'll just, I'll just bring you some of the examples from the Bible just to, just, to, just to force you to think, just to go outside the box, whatever is you know, the popular opinion out there. Just go outside the box and just stick to your script. See, when you look at these covenants, the first thing that you should come to our minds, you know what it was supposed to be? Number one, God doesn't lie. God cannot lie. Whatever comes from his mouth, whatever word comes from his mouth, it's serious. And we better listen and pay attention. It's not just because he spoke something, now this is fulfilled, so we just have to ignore it and we just stick to the New Testament because this thing just doesn't matter anymore. Really. That's the God that you believe. God is bound by his word that come out of his mouth. He is bound by it. He can't go back. Would you like to have a faith in God like that? That is not bound by his word? I cannot, you know, my life, I have very hard time to be faithful. We try hard. How do we break things around? If you imagine you have a God who can do the same thing, then you know what? What do we stand on? What do we stand on? See, as the results of all of these things, just the little things, have faith. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what is happening around you, no matter what the other people might say about you or do to you, God is faithful to his his words and he will take care of you. Now, so we covered some points here. Now, let's move on. Now, what happens if we Break the covenant with God. God cannot break his covenant, but we can. What happens if we break God's covenant? You see, with covenants, there are obligations and responsibility, and there are consequences that we need to keep it in mind. And in scriptures, you know, there is many ways how the covenant can be broken. There are many ways how the covenant can be broken, and we need to keep it in our minds. Let's look at the first option. The covenant can be broken by one person with the direct result on that person. What I mean by that, go to Numbers chapter 15. Let me give you an example here. The covenant can be broken by one person with the direct consequences for that person and his immediate family. Numbers chapter 15. And look at verse 32 to verse 35. God gave Israelites the commandment of a Sabbath day. Verse 32. Now, while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering stick on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering the stick brought, brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregations. And they put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done, what should be done to him. And we know the results of it, that eventually this guy was stoned to death. So what happened here? One person sinned. One person bear the consequences of this sin. What was the result of the sin? Was the death penalty. Death penalty of one person did not affect the other people that were around him, except his immediate family, but did not affect the nations. So that's my first point. The covenant can be broken by one person with the direct consequences for that person. Point two. The covenant can be broken by one person 
with the direct consequences, not just on that person, but on the entire nation or on the entire congregation. And we need to keep this thing in mind. Okay? The covenant can be broken by one person with the direct consequences, not just for that person, but for the entire congregation. Let's go to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. But the children of Israel commit a trespass regarding the accursed thing for Achan, the son of Camry, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of a cursed thing, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Wait a minute. One man committed a horrible sin with the consequences for the entire nation. Because he says at the beginning, the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding their cursed thing. They had a specific instructions. When you go into the cities, God says, I don't want you to take anything for yourself. Every single thing needs to be destroyed. One man, greedy man, he just thought, hey, I'm just going to enhance my life and save something for my retirement a little bit here. Who cares? It's just the one man with one little thing. It's not going to affect the entire nation. Who's going to know what I do? And you see, God does not just hold this one person accountable for this person's sin. He holds the entire nation accountable for this one man. See how serious it is? And why he mentions all you these things? Because sometimes we think, you know, we live in Northern America. We say, oh, we live in a democratic country. What I do is my business. And you please... You cannot judge me what I do. It's not in your scope to judge me. I am. I'll be judged by God. And you have nothing to do with my own business. I can do what I want to do. That's not entirely true. We are all responsible for one another. All because we can have our consequences. Sins can affect the whole congregation. Not just the person, one person. Sin can affect the entire congregation. And we need to be careful how we deal with it. And we know the results what happened with this man. When you skip down to verse 11, uh, here in verse 11, so it says here in verse 11 and 12, Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed thing and have both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it among their own stuff. You see? One man, but God just put all the sins to the entire camp of Israel. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their back before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Think about it. But the huge consequences, huge consequences. One man sinned, innocent man died in the bottle. Innocent man died in the bottle because this one man sinned. And the consequences was huge. Again. And now here, as we drop down to verse 24 here, then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedges, wedge of gold, his sons, his daughter, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Acre. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones. And they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And as long as they did what they're supposed to do now, they were reconciled back to the covenant of their God. But they had to deal with sin first before they could progress with their conquest of the promised land. One, one nation, whole nation was punished because of the sin of one man. That's how God serious it is when we break God's covenant. Now, there is another way, the third way, how we can break the, break the, the, the covenant with God. The whole nation, the whole nation can break the covenant with God. Go to Jeremiah chapter 11. Jeremiah chapter 11. 
Jeremiah chapter 11 and verse 7 and 8. Jeremiah chapter 11, verses 7 to 8. Verse 7. For I earnestly exhort you, fathers, in the day I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, until this day, rising early and exhorting, saying, Obey my voice, please obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone followed the dictates of his evil heart. Therefore, I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant which I commanded them to do, but which they have not done. And this is the story of the house of Israel throughout the biblical history that you read about it. As soon as they brought out out of Egypt, they rebelled. Even when they went to live in the promised land, they rebelled. God sent the judges when in such a dire situation just to rescue them and to reconcile them to their covenant. God sends the righteous kings on some occasion just to again reconcile them. God sent the faithful prophets to warn them to go back, to go back to my covenants, go back to the ways that you're supposed to walk in it. And they constantly refused and refused and refused. The whole nation break the covenant against God. Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. We go through some of the examples. Some harsh example. Leviticus chapter 25 verse 2. Leviticus chapter 25 verse 2. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them. When you come into the land which I give you. Then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field. And six years you shall prune your vineyards. And gather in fruits. And guess what? This is a difficult to do. Even though my God bless me so much. But I think if I just leave my land. Just to be wasted for the whole year. That I can't produce any harvest. I can just let it go to waste like that. Why should I obey God? I know better than whatever my God knows. Right? The entire land abused this law and disobeyed. What was the result of it? Leviticus chapter 26. Just flip a few more pages. 26, look at verse 34. They knew what's going to happen if they ever do something like that. Verse 34 and 35. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate, and you are in your enemy's land, then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lays desolate, it shall rest. For the time it did not rest on your Sabbaths when you dwell in it. If you're not going to obey my laws, it's okay. You know what? The land will still obey my law. I'll take you to the land of the enemies, but the land will still enjoy its Sabbaths rest. Whether you obey my covenant or you not obey my covenant, I will still perform what I promise what I will do. You with God or you against God? If you're against God, there are horrible, horrible consequences if you try to be against God. Now, Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles, chapter 36. Second Chronicles, chapter 36, verse 19 to 21. Second Chronicles chapter 36, verse 19 to 21. Eventually, they had trust, Judah had trust, that it's impossible that God will destroy his own temple. It came to pass. It came to pass. Look at verse 19 here. Then they burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burn all its places with fire, and destroy all its precious possessions. And this who escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon, where they become servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill 
the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land and enjoy her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. God is not lying. God will always perform what he says to the letter. Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah chapter 25. In all of this horrible news, Jeremiah chapter 25. Verse 11 and 12. Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 11 and 12. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And this nation shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. But then look verse 12. Then I will come to pass. And then it will come to pass when the 70 years are complete that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their inequity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. Another promise. God says, I will punish my people, but I will be bringing, I'll bring them back. Once they serve what they're supposed to serve, when the 70 years it's over, they will eventually come back to its own place. So I just wanted to show you that we break God's covenant. There are very strict consequences if we break covenant. Consequences, they can ruin our lives. Consequences can not just ruin our lives, but disturb our whole congregation. The consequences, that can actually ruin the whole nation. To be not careful what we do. Now, there's something else here. There is something else here. We have to be careful how we, how we talk to one another. Because what is coming of our lips when we say to somebody that, let's say, brother or sister or anybody else, even at work, when you mention something that you're going to do something and you're not going to do it, God will hold you responsible. So be careful what comes out of your mouth. You can't just go around and joke. God is a witness. God is a witness. What do you say? Let me give you an example here. Go to Ezekiel chapter 17. There are many. I'll just give you this one. Ezekiel chapter 17. Ezekiel chapter 17, verse 12 to 17. They all knew every king in Israel, every king in Judah should study the law of God. They should know it inside out. All the consequences, they should be fully aware. But this king got his own solution. He's got his own idea how to go against the Babylon and how to go against God's direct judgment. Okay? So let's here break into the context here, verse 12. Ezekiel chapter 17 and look at verse 12. So now, the rebellious house, do you know what these things mean? Tell them. And, you know, we, 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 we're going to pick up the story here, the sense of the story here. Tell them, indeed the king of Babylon went to Jerusalem and took its king and princes and led them with him to Babylon. And he did the king's offspring, and this king, the king of Babylon, he made a covenant with him and put him under oath, so you be careful what you say with your lips, okay? Put him under oath. He also took away the mighty of the land, that the kingdom might be brought low and not lift itself up, but that by keeping his covenant, it might stand. So actually, the king of Babylon was actually nice to the people. He said, I will leave you still some representative as long as you make a promise that you're not going to do anything that's going to go contrary against me and against God also, because that was God's, God's judgment. And look what happened. Verse 15. But he rebelled against him by sending his ambassador to Egypt. So behind back, he promised one thing, he said one thing that he will do, that he will be obedient to the king of Babylon, but on the other hand, he sent the ambassadors to Egypt, and he said that they might give him horses and many people. 
So he wants to find a battle. He wants to he wants to start a war with the king of Babylon. He, did, he didn't learn his lesson. He didn't study the book of the law. Look what God says here. This is very interesting. Will he prosper? Can you go against God's judgment? Did you think I'm gonna sell? I'm gonna fix my mistakes here, my own way? Do you think is that possible? Many people try. Are they successful? If you don't come to a full repentance? No. Will he prosper? Look what God says. Will he, who does such thing, escape? Can he break a covenant and still be delivered? No way. No way. If you tell any single one here that you're going to do something for that person, watch it. Watch it what you say. Let you yes be yes and let you no be no. Don't just yap around it just to keep up a conversation. This is how serious it is. Let me talk about some last thing here before I move on to the next point. The marriage. Why is not the marriage covenant, right? We still talk about marriage as a covenant, right? But look what we've done over the years. We switch things around. We don't call marriage a covenant anymore. We call marriage a contract. Now, you should probably sing into your head, what's the difference? What's the difference? In the marriage covenant, if the one partner is unfaithful, the other partner is obligated to be faithful no matter what, because that was the promise, right? It doesn't give the other partner right to do the same thing. But we change it. We make it now a contract. What does the contract say? Oh, now you know what? If I'm going to get married, let's, let's put everything on the paper. I want you to do this, 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 and this. If you're not going to do this, this, and this, and this, then I'm not going to do this, this, and this, and this. In the end, which is breaking it. Daniel and Rosina will be married soon, in the next few months. So you guys, you need to be aware what you words when you're going to stand on the day and you're going to say, I do to each other, what these words mean. Because you know what? Not just the people will be witness to what you say, but more importantly, God will be a witness to your words. And you take it seriously. God is not joking around. Whether you're a Christian, or whether you're a Muslim, whether you're a Buddhist, or whether you're an unbeliever, marriage comes right from the Genesis account. Whether you believe it or you don't believe it, God will still hold you accountable for what you say. This is just the way how it is. Now, we are just, what, one week away from the Feast of Pentecost. As we're going to go and celebrate this wonderful festival, people will try to convince you through their theology did God abandon Israel? Israel is no longer in picture. We live in a new era now. This is the church era. Everything changed. You show me the scripture when this thing take part. Was it during the cross? Or was it during the Pentecost event? Because some people try to. Everything changed. People try to relate. Was it before the cross and there was something after the cross? What was the difference? Show me a scripture so we can say that was different before and now suddenly it's different after. Show me. Show me the scripture. What happened on the day of Pentecost? God, because of the covenant that he promised to our ancestors, he's just fulfilling, going a little bit step further. And going another step further. And another step further. Till it comes to the end. That every single word that he promised to Abraham will be fulfilled. He never, he never ever abandoned Israel. He allowed Gentiles to come in. That's the difference. There is never in the scripture that we can see. The shift occur. Never. The message is always. The same. Go to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. 
Exodus chapter 19, verse 3. Way before the Ten Commandments. Way before the stipulations of the agreement. Exodus chapter 19, verse 3. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, way before the Ten Commandments. Way before that. What? What do you want me to tell, God? You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on an eagle's wings, and brought you to myself. Verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people. For all earth is mine. I claim the ownerships to everything. But even though I claim the ownership to ship or to everything, you, your people, you're going to be a special people. Of all these people, you guys, you're going to be a special to me. Verse 6, and you shall, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. What we learn here. Point number one. Israel shall be God's chosen people. Show me a scripture where it says that Poland will be God's chosen people. Or Russia will be God's chosen people. Is there a scripture in your Bible? Well, let's say, let's go even farther. Show me a scripture. Canada will be God's chosen people. What about guests that are watching at the U.S.? Where does it say that U.S. will be God's chosen people? Where does it say it in the Bible? Israel, point number one, will be my chosen people. Point number two, Israel shall be God's priest. No any other nation. Israel shall be God's priest. And Israel, point number three, shall be set apart for exclusive use by God. And through the festival, we learn what is this exclusive use that God wants to use Israel. For what? To bring the Gentiles. Now, let's read verse number one, verse five, one more time. Because some people go here and say, see, Jen, there are conditions here. There are conditions here, Jen. See, you can't say it. What does it say, verse five? If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments. See, they did not obey God's voice and did not obey God's commandments. God cast them away. Really? If that's the case, if that's really is the case, what it says here, then, hold on, I'm a little bit ahead of myself here. Exodus chapter 32. Hold this thing in, hold, hold this thing in your thoughts. But Exodus chapter 32. Because we know how faithful these people were. They received the Ten Commandments, and the people say, yes, we will keep them. And it didn't take a long time. Moses went up to the mountain again, and they rebelled. What did they do? They built the golden calf. We all know the story, right? So look at verse 32. Some people say that already they broke the covenants. God is done with them. Verse Chapter 32, verse 11 to 14. It's an interesting discussion that comes here between Moses and God. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn out against your people? whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out of, to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of this earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and you relent from this harm to your people. Verse 13. Remember. Remember Abraham. God, remember Isaac. Remember Israel, your servants, to whom you swear by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. Where did Moses get such a strong faith? Based on what? On the word of God. And he knew that he can trust God because if God said something, I have the right to claim it. That's it. It's not anything about Moses' righteousness. It's all about God's word. And look at verse 14. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. 
and we just, just go quickly over this text, we forget one thing. What is it? People will say, you see, Jen, grace did not come till the New Testament. What did God do here to the children of Israel? What did he do? God relented. What is that supposed to mean? Is this not an unbelievable act of grace towards his people? Absolutely. Everything is about God's grace from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. It's not like, hey, we used to live in the dispensations of the law, but now we live in the dispensation of the grace. So law doesn't matter anymore. This is just nonsense. It's not biblical. It's not true. Now, the verses that you read in 19, Exodus chapter 19, remember? About Israel shall be God's chosen people. As Israel shall be God's priests. Israel shall be set apart for exclusive use. If this thing is done away, or if this thing was just taken away because of unfaithfulness, then you know what? Some of the some of the writing of the New Testament just doesn't make any sense. Let me show you what I mean. First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two. I guess Peter got the idea upside down. He had no idea what he was writing about. He was confused. First Peter chapter two. But just before we go to 1 Peter chapter 2, let's read 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2. Just we know to whom exactly Peter is writing his letter. So we, we are on the same page. So 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, who spent 40 days before the Feast of Pentecost, listening exactly to the teaching of Christ. What kind of teaching? Teaching about the kingdom of God. Forty days, that was last Thursday. This week, last Thursday, that actually Christ ascended to his father. Forty days. And now, he's writing, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims. What kind of pilgrims? To the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Verse 2. Who are these people? Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So we're not confused where he's writing to. So the pilgrims, what kind of pilgrims that came to Jerusalem? They came to Jerusalem to do what? To keep the Feast of Pentecost. Went back home. He's writing them a letter. Now, Second Peter chapter 2. If I say Second Peter, I say First Peter chapter two. I apologize. First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two, verse four. Now it's Peter writing here. Coming to him as to the as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer our spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you, who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become a chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word, to which they were also appointed. Keep reading. But you, verse 9, but you, did God's plan change? But you are a chosen generation. Where is he getting these words from? You are a chosen generation. You 
are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Does God's objective change here? Absolutely not. So I guess Peter was still under the impression that the covenant is still in. Did you see what I'm saying here? He was not confused. Not at this time. He received a special teaching from Christ himself. Okay. Let's finish it. Let's ask this question again. There are consequences to this question. I thought, Remember I told you at the beginning. Let's ask this question again. Can God break his covenant? If you say yes, if you say yes, that God can break his covenant, or you say yes, God broke his covenant, then you know what? We don't have any foundations on what to stand on. Think about it for a second. If God broke his covenant with Israel, and replace Israel with other nation. What's a guarantee for you that God's not going to replace you and let's say with Muslim people? What's the guarantee? What kind of guarantee you have to offer to God? If God replaced something with something, then as easy God can replace you with something. I told you, to every answer, there are huge consequences that we need to realize if we speak our words. Most people will say, yeah, God replaced Israel. God is done with Israel. Do you really realize what you're saying here? We can go on and on. Another sermon about this stuff. But now let's say, if we say no, God did not break his covenant. What are the consequences? What are the consequences? You better pay attention to every word that God said. And you don't try to divide this book into something like, you know, fulfilled a New Testament. Something that was done away and something for us. You be careful. How we separate these things. Who gives you the right to do such a If that's the case, then every single word is important to us. And we pay attention. Whether it be Genesis or Revelation, whether it be a Leviticus or Matthew, we pay attention because God just doesn't spit words outside just for the sake, as I said, just to write the pages of the book that we call the Bible. Let me finish with this last closing scripture and I'll be done. Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah chapter 46, and let's read verse 8 to 10 first. Isaiah chapter 46, verses 8 to 10. Remember this. This is Isaiah writing. Remember this and show yourselves, man. Recall to mind, all you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. And because I am God, verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. What is stopping God to accomplish all of these things? Nothing. Why can nothing stop God? Because he is bound 
by his word that he spoke to his holy prophets. Skip down here, the last two verses here, to verse 12. Listen to me. Listen to me, you stubborn hearted who are far from righteousness. I, I will bring my righteousness near. It shall not be far off. My salvation shall not linger. And I will place salvation in Zion. For Israel is my glory. May God be with all of you. And now, brethren, as we finish this part of the service, let's just stand for the closing prayer. And after the closing prayer, I will give it back to brother, to Pastor Agent, to conclude the services here. Oh, Father, great God, God Almighty, I don't even know what to say at this time, at this moment, Father. I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful to be here, Father. I'm just so grateful that you give me this gift that at least partially I can understand the Scripture and to all of us. And, Father, thank you. Thank you for the assurance for who you are. And as long as we know that you God of your word, that you God of the covenant, that you God who never work outside the covenant, we know that we can entrust with our lives. We can put our lives into your hand and just be at ease and just be relaxed. And just do your works. Father, as you will dismiss us from today. Help us fully to understand. And comprehend what the feast of Pentecost is all about. Father, you don't not only give us the commandments to keep. You give us your Holy Spirit, Father. So we can have a greater discernment. And we thank you for that. Please, Father with every single individual who was listening to this message, whether here in this room or whether online, Father. And please, Father, bless us with your understanding and with your wisdom and help us to be more productive in your work. We praise you, holy name, Father, and we ask you all these things in other name, by Jesus Christ's name, amen.